we're going to talk about giving. Um, I, for one, am happy to leave 2016 behind. Uh, 2016 is like a uh, a bad nightmare that you wake up from at some point, right? And uh, I'm hoping 2017 will be better. Uh, and as you've no doubt guessed, um, we are talking about giving. Um, and if you've seen in our bulletin over the last month or so, we were running a very significant deficit. Uh, but I'm happy to report that we have virtually eliminated that entire amount of deficit. Praise God. Amen. And I think we're running about 2% behind our budget, but our expenses and our giving are virtually equal at this point. So, uh, so praise God for that. So I understand I'm not giving this message in the, in, in, with the idea of prodding or pleading or poking you all uh, that you need to give, but I am going to talk about, um, talk about giving because it's something that the Bible does talk about quite a bit, especially um, the connection between our money and our heart. And then we're going to spend a lot of time in Romans uh, over the next probably year and a half. We're going to spend a bunch of time in Romans. And so I'm not going to have a lot of opportunity in the, in the course of talking about Romans to, uh, to talk about giving. And so I want to talk about it now at the beginning of a, of a brand new year as we are maybe setting up our, our budgets and that kind of thing for the new year to just think about um, what the Bible does have to say about giving because God is not at all reluctant to speak about it in His Word. In fact, it's, it's I think, after salvation and who Jesus is, one of the probably top five topics that God talks about in His Word. So we're not going to be reluctant to talk about it either because there is, like I say, a deep connection between where we allocate our money and where our hearts actually lie and where our allegiance is. And so um, we need to understand that. And I want to talk about four biblical truths that if we embrace them and believe them and respond to them appropriately will cause us to experience joy in our giving. You know, sometimes giving is something that, that we experience as a responsibility or as a duty or as a um, just something that we feel like we ought to do. But that is not the biblical expectation. The biblical expectation is that we would have great joy in, uh, in offering to the Lord our resources and seeing them used to advance His kingdom. So we want to talk about how to have joy, actually, in giving. Uh, that it would be a joyful, worshipful experience uh, of our lives. So uh, I want to talk to you, first of all, about the means that God ex uh, uh, expects of us, uh, that He instructs and encourages us toward uh, and I want to talk about it from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 through 10. Okay, So if you've got your Bible, let's look at the means. And the means is our first fruits. So let's look at God's Word here. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Uh, this is what God's Word says. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce, 
Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now, you all understand this because you've been here before, and you've heard me talk about Proverbs before, that Proverbs are uh, inspired principles that God gives for how life normally works. Now, they're not guarantees. If you do this, if you do X, Y will result 100% of the time. But they are principles for how to live life wisely in a fallen world. And though they aren't guaranteed outcomes, they are inspired teaching about how life works normally for those who trust and obey God and who put them who put him at the center of their lives. And in the days of Solomon, if, who wrote this uh, proverb, perhaps things I think were a little more literal in that it was an agricultural society and they did make wine uh, and they did grow crops. And so when it's talking about first fruits and wine and these things, you know, it's literally what they did offer to the Lord. They would bring in the first part of their grape harvest and the first of their wheat harvest and the firstborn of all of their animals and they would literally bring that stuff in as a sacrifice to the Lord. And the idea was is that, God, I am bringing you the first and the best of what I have with the hope that you um, will also bring in the remainder of the harvest that I have not yet brought in, and that, and that we honor him first in what we do. In other words, uh, that a person who is, who is wise, a person who reveres the Lord and obeys Him, honors the Lord with His wealth, and specifically does so by giving the first portion of their income to Him. Now, I remember being taught this principle when I was a student at Taylor, oh gosh, more years ago than I'd like to admit, 20-some, uh, <laughs> I'll say that, okay. Uh, I had a professor named Rick Seaman who uh, told us, you know, one of the first things you need to do whenever a check comes in, y'all, is take off the top whatever it is you're going to give. And then after that, save some, and then you have the rest you can spend on whatever you need to spend it on, housing or groceries or clothes or whatever. But, but honor the Lord first out of what you of whatever comes in. And since Karen and I have been married, I'll just say this, that we have made a commitment uh, to have that principle be our practice, that whatever comes in, that we take a portion of that, uh, the first part of each month, and we give some to the Lord to advance the kingdom. And sometimes in our marriage we have made a lot of money, and we have had, therefore, a lot to give. And other times we have made comparatively little money, and we've had a little to give. But, the, but the, regardless of whether it was a lot or whether it was a little, we've always taken the first portion of that and given it to the Lord, always. And we've taught our kids to do the same thing. You know, they get an allowance at our house. I don't know if you do that at your house or not, but they get an allowance at our house. Maybe some of your kids want to come live with us. I don't know. But anyway, um, we tell them, look, you need to have, 
you need to have a certain, you need to have three different jars, okay? You need a jar for savings, a jar for church, and a jar for spending. We want you to save a certain portion, we want you to give a portion, and then you can spend the rest, you know, buy candy bars or band camp or whatever it is you need to do, okay? You can spend that, but a portion of this needs to go to the church and a portion to savings, and then you can do with the rest what you want. And it's been amazing, but God has been faithful to His Word. And we have experienced God's blessing. And God has provided more than sufficiently for all of our needs. Even though we, like I say, every month take off the top a chunk of what has come in, whatever it was, big amount, small amount, whatever it was, taking a chunk and giving it. Uh, and I'll say this, that even though Proverbs is principles rather than guarantees, I will tell you that if you trust God, that God will be faithful to you in your finances. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in lots of other people's life. This is a true principle, that God will be faithful, and He will care for all your needs. Now, the Lord doesn't simply instruct us about what to give to Him. He also tells us why we're to give. And he supplies us with the both, both the best possible motive as well as the power with which to do it. So, if you would, turn with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 are two chapters in the New Testament that are all about giving. The whole of those two chapters all have to do with giving. And... I want you to answer me this question as we look at this verse. Uh, when you have given something in the past, whether it's to the church or to something else, why did you do it? Why? Well, I can tell you that uh, I'm aware of a lot of reasons that people give. Sometimes people give based on there's a need that's presented. You know, hey, we need $200 for this or we need... You know, three thousand dollars for this mission trip or whatever, and people will give sometimes in response to a need. Uh, some people will give because they want to support a particular cause or they want to support a particular institution. So, let's say that a political party calls you up and you want to support their candidate, and so you give to that. Or you know, a a Christian camp or organization calls and they need some money, and you want to support that institution and their cause that they're trying to advance, and so you give to that because you want to support that institution. Uh, I've given to uh, any number of kids that have come to my door uh, for scouts or band or uh, whatever, right? Um, you know, they want to go on a trip, and they're peddling magazines, and I've bought all kinds of magazines <laughs> over the years because I want to help this kid, right? 
Um, and sometimes I've given uh, because I feel guilty if I don't, right? Anybody ever given on that basis? Where some, you're, you're, you're in some, some room, you know, and then somebody's really cranking up the emotional manipulation, you know, <laughs> and there's, you know, or you've watched those ads on TV, you know, and they've got Sarah McLaughlin playing, and, uh, you know, and they've got sad puppies everywhere, and you're like, oh, that's terrible. I need to give to the ASPCA or whatever, right? Okay, and they give out of guilt, right? You get emotionally manipulated and guilt into that. Um, and a lot of times Christians give uh, to their church or to missions or to any number of things out of just simply obedience. They, they know that God's Word says they should give, and so they do. They obey. And that's those... You know, some of those motivations aren't bad. Some of them are pretty good. Uh, but, but look at what Paul says our motivation is to be. You know the grace revealed in our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. That we through his poverty might become rich. In other words, we don't give because we simply agree with the cause. We don't just give out of obedience, although we should obey. We don't give because we feel guilty. Uh, we give because we are the recipients of a great gift from God. A gift of grace by which Jesus Christ, who is Lord of the universe. Amen? Now, I don't know how wealthy or poor you are, but I'll assure you that Lord of creation ranks at the top of wealthy individuals. Amen? <laughs> right? All things that exist belong to me, if I am Lord of creation. Right? Everything that exists belongs to Jesus. And yet, Paul says, he became poor. Now, some of you remember, where was Jesus born? In a barn, right? I mean, that, that's the one thing Jesus' mama could never say to him. Were you born in a barn, boy? <laughs> right? As a matter of fact, <laughs> right? <laughs> All right? Now, that, can I just say this? Can I just go on record and say that, that to go from Lord of creation to lying in a feed trough is a relatively big distance? Can I say that? Will you agree with that? Okay. For your sakes became poor. He became incarnate. He lived not as a king, but as a peasant. Crucified, died a shameful death, naked and bleeding for your sin. In other words, our motivation for giving is the gospel itself. That, that just as Christ has given a great gift to us, so we who are recipients of a great gift then give. 
because we have, through faith in Christ, the power to give because the Holy Spirit dwells within us as believers, but also this wonderful motivation of appreciation and gratitude in response to the grace that He has lavished on us. Amen? You remember Jesus' parable? Jesus tells a parable uh, as, um, as a woman comes into dinner whether he's having with the Pharisee. And the woman comes in and is washing his feet with her tears and wiping them with her hair. And Simon, who's the Pharisee, is, says, if this man were a prophet, he says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what sort of woman this is that is touching him. And he wouldn't let her do that. And Jesus, in response, answers his thoughts, which is one of the ways that we know that Jesus is God, by the way, is that he would answer people's internal conversations, <laughs> right? And he says, what do you think, Simon? Suppose that a master had two servants who owed him money, one 500 days wages and the other 50 days wages. And he came and he forgave the debts of both of them. Which one do you think loves him more? And Simon says, I suppose the one who had a bigger debt forgiven. He says, you have judged correctly. And then he says, do you see this woman? Her sins are forgiven and she loves much. And he says, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And his point is this, is that if you understand how much you have been given, then that ought to overflow into gratitude and then into giving. Amen? Because when we realize that God has given everything for us and to us, then we have no problem responding with gratitude and generosity to that. Amen? Suppose that, you were, suppose that your house, as an example, I don't know how big your mortgage is or if you still have one, but let's say that you, know, you were at the very beginning of your mortgage and you owe $150,000 to Chase Bank, Manhattan, right? And all of a sudden, on the next month, you get a letter in the mail that says, so-and-so has paid off your mortgage, and you now can burn the note. Now, would that be a great gift? Amen. That would be a great gift, right? Now, would you, do you think you, that that person would get at least a thank you note? <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. In fact, they're getting invited over for Christmas every year. Right? It might be no one else on your Christmas list who gets a card, but they get a card for the rest of your life. Right? Why? Because when you realize how much you have been given, it overflows into gratitude. And you now have a motive for generosity because you're a recipient of unmerited grace. 
right? So that's the motive, is the gospel. A person who has been transformed by grace can also extend grace to other people. And in so doing, we become imitators of God's love to us. That just as we have been recipients of grace, we extend grace to other people. Uh, And if we give according to uh, this motive, with the gospel in mind, then we become people who give with God's method of cheerful generosity. Now, I want to show you that. It's uh, over a page or so in your Bible, chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, verses 6 through 10. This is what Paul says there. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work, as it is written. He distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Now, uh, this last summer, Karen and I did not plant a garden for the very simple reason that she and I are both working full time and our kids are off at things like band and summer camp, and whatever, and there's no one at home to tend the garden, right? But in in most years, we've planted a garden, and I'm not the world's best gardener. In fact, by about August, there's weeds coming up everywhere, and I'm just trying to, you know, salvage whatever is left, (laughs) right? I'm just, I've gotten tired of dealing with it by that point. But this I do know about gardening, that if you want to have a lot of things to harvest, you have to plant a lot of things in the beginning, right? You have to put a lot of bean seeds in the garden if you want to have a lot of green beans to eat. If you want to have a lot of tomatoes, you've got to plant a lot of tomato plants. In fact, well, actually with tomatoes, you don't have to plant a lot of plants, (laughs) okay? (laughs) But... But I do know that the more plants you put in the ground, the more abundant the tomato harvest is going to be, right? Uh, And that principle holds, Paul is saying here in 2 Corinthians, with reference to giving too. That if you want big blessings, then big sowing causes big blessing. And that God, in addition to that, is able to ensure that we abound in good works. And he says, he's saying that he who gives us what we need can multiply uh, what we have so that we have an increase in righteousness that we produce. Uh, so, so to summarize a little bit more, what Paul is saying is you can't outgive the Lord. And I've seen this happen where people give generously and then for whatever reason God chooses to bless them and then they have more to give even more generously. And it seems like the more they give, the more they have. 
just like planting tomatoes, right? The more you plant, the man, the more you've got to a point where at some point you just start sacking them up and like leaving them at the neighbor's house, you know, uh, people you don't know, you drive by and set a sack in their driveway, right? <laughs> um, you're just trying to get rid of them all, right? And, and the point is true that you cannot outgive the Lord. That He who blessed you in the first place, if you respond generously, will continue to bless so that you have even more. That your righteousness might grow along with your income. You know, here's, here's reality. Most of us do pretty well with adversity, right? We know what to do in adversity. Uh, because when we're in adversity, what we do immediately is we get down on our face and we start praying to the Lord, I'm in a tough spot and I need help. Amen? But you know what's a tougher test a lot of times for most people is prosperity. When everything is going good, when the cotton is high, and daddy's rich and mama's good looking, right? And we are living high on the hog. We are doing well. Well, that's when we have a tendency to forget the Lord. And to go, you know what? I'll get back to you when things get tough, but I got this wired for the time being, right? And Paul is saying, no, when things are good, give. Give. Give when things are not good. Because God is able to supply you with more seed, which will grow more plants, which grow more harvest. Right? And that there is a connection between a generous heart and a righteous person. And the more generous you are, the more righteous you become. And, and you know, I've seen that to be true too. That, that where you, as you cultivate a spirit of generosity, what happens is you start to hold your stuff with a little less of a tight grip. Because remember, as Peter said, the present heavens and the present earth are reserved for fire. In other words, you're not taking anything out of this world. All that exists on this planet is going to one day be burned up and destroyed. And so we ought not hold on to these things as if they're eternal things because they're not. In fact, Chuck Swindoll, I remember uh, hearing him preach this. He was talking about that particular passage. And he said, y'all just ought to get a stamp from like Office Depot and go through your house and stamp everything you own with reserved for fire, right? The car, the bookshelves, the books on them, you know, the stove, whatever it is that you think is a precious thing, just stamp it, reserved for fire. Because none of this is going to last. But what does last is your heart and your relationship with God. And the more you cultivate a spirit of generosity, the more your righteousness grows as you become less attached to this stuff and more attached to the Lord of stuff. The Lord who gave you every blessing that you enjoy. Cheerful generosity, right? 
God loves a cheerful giver. Not a grudging giver. Not a guilty giver. Cheerful giver. All right. One more thing that we need to see, which is the results. I want you to flip over quickly to Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. If you're looking for a, a good Bible study to do here in the new year, do the Sermon on the Mount. Just a little chunk at a time. It'll change your life. Matthew chapter 6, 19 to 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Everything that you can see and touch and taste and smell... Every material thing in this world will one day disappear. It will all be gone one day. You know, I have said to people sometimes, there is no, I've been to lots of funerals and I have never seen a U-Haul behind the hearse. Never happens. You cannot take any of it with you. It's all going to be gone. This world is going to be replaced one day by the new heavens and the new earth, the home of righteousness. And the only things that will outlast this world are whatever you have done for the sake of Christ and your soul. Those are the only things that will outlast this world. And so giving is one part of what we are doing for Christ. And when you give, you aren't sacrificing. What you are doing is sending it on ahead of you for your reward. You cannot take it with you, but you can send it on ahead as a lasting reward from the Lord of what you have done for Christ. Um, Treasure in this life is only temporary value. It can buy cars and clothes and fields and farms and gourmet food and exotic vacations. But it can also be invested for eternity in things that gain eternal reward. And whatever you spend it on, Jesus tells us, reveals something about where our heart truly lies. You know, I've said this before, too, that if you give me your checkbook and your calendar, I can tell you what you think is important in life. Right? Because your time and your money are the two things you have the least of and that you never feel like you have enough of. And so whatever you invest your time and your money in is whatever you think is really important. And Jesus is telling us, be sure that where your treasure is, is where your heart, where you think, you, where you think it should be, right? Because wherever it really is, is where your, wherever your treasure really is, is where your heart actually is. And if your treasure is all in the stuff of this life, 
That's, guess what? That tells you something about your heart. And if your treasure is invested in things that will outlast this world, in the advancement of the kingdom of God, in the, um, in the spread of the gospel, in the transformation of people's lives, in the planting of churches, in the growth of ministries, etc., that that is something that reveals your heart too. And that is something, in fact, that will gain an eternal reward in a place where your reward doesn't fade away. There's a reward. Far better to invest our resources where it can't be stolen or eaten or rust away and where the returns are always guaranteed. Amen? Now, practically speaking, here's how we handle giving here at Chilagothi Bible Church. We don't take an offering during the service like a lot of churches do. Uh, we believe that giving is an act of worship between you and the Lord, and so we provide the opportunity to give uh, through a variety of means. We have you know, these giving boxes up here on the wall. We have another big one out in the hallway. Uh, it's not labeled. We probably ought to label it so people know that that's not just a random wooden box out there but um but you know you can give through that you can give online you can give via text uh if you have an online account if you want to do that practically speaking that's how we handle it because we want to make it simple and we want to um make sure that it's a, a something that is individual between you and the lord not something that we are compelling you to do as everybody looks at you as you pass the plate right um, but uh, we want to make, make you aware that that's, that that's how it happens. But we also want to consider these four principles and look at how our lives line up with them and where we need to make adjustments. Okay? So consider this. Uh, consider your means, first of all. Do you give, when you give, from the first fruits of your resources? Do you give from the first portion or from what is left? Some people try to do that, right? They go, well, we got 20 bucks left at the end of the month, so that's the Lord's, right? No, that's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture says give from, what, from what the first of what comes in, not from what's left over. Uh, is your giving also something that is non-negotiable or something that flexes depending on your feelings at the time? Right, um, you know, at our house we view our giving as very much like uh, the mortgage. You know, just like the mortgage has to be paid if we don't have some place to live, uh, we do our giving as a non-negotiable thing. That this is something that we must do. Whatever else we do, you know, we don't have to eat if it comes down to that. But we do have to give and honor the Lord. Okay. Um, Secondly, our motive. Why do I give? Why? Do I give out of guilt, out of law-keeping, or do I give out of gratitude in response to God's grace that He has given to me? Do I give out of a desire to see the kingdom of God advance just as it advanced to include me? The gospel and grace should be my motivation. Is that your motivation? 
or not? If not, can I suggest that you need to spend some time before you do anything else, just spend some time reflecting on the grandeur and glory of God's grace revealed to you in the sacrifice of Christ on your behalf. And as you think about the gospel and as you think about your sin on the one hand and the sacrifice of Christ and what it truly means, then I think you will develop a heart for giving as well out of gratitude and in response to grace rather than simply out of either obedience or guilt. Grace is to be our motivation. And that will produce in you the method of cheerful generosity. How do you give? Are you cheerful about it? Or do you, you know, do you walk do you walk over to one of those boxes and deposit that check like a guy who's, you know, giving away a kidney? Right? Oh, I have to do this, but oh, here we go. Uh, you know, um, cheerful generosity is to be our attitude because we are recipients of grace. Do you hold your possessions loosely with an open-handed recognition that everything you possess is God's gift to you? Do you recognize that you can't outgive the Lord and, and actually instead joyfully give hoping that God will use your gifts to bless other people just as you have been blessed and that God will multiply your resources that you can give even more. And then last question on the result here. Where's your treasure? As you really look at your life, what are you really treasuring? Is your heart tied up with things here on earth? Or is your treasure in eternity? Because again, you can't take anything with you. You can send it on ahead to greet you in God's kingdom as a reward. So where is your treasure? The more heavily you invest here, the more reward you will possess. So let's pray and let's ask God's Spirit to transform us so that we can experience the joy of giving. Amen. God, our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have been so gracious to us, that we have been given the best of all possible gifts, the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, and union with him through faith and transformation to look like him by your Holy Spirit as we uh, read your word and as we cry out uh, to you and ask your Holy Spirit to change us. Father, some of us um, already know what it is to experience joy in giving, and we invest our treasure here uh, that we might have your reward there and that our hearts might be more deeply connected to you. But some of us, this is a struggle. And Father, wherever we are today, I pray that you would help us by your Holy Spirit to... Uh, to not only obey your word, but to understand it and to take joy in it and to be transformed by it as we rely on your Holy Spirit. And Father, we ask 
uh, for your Holy Spirit to help us. In Jesus' name, amen.